0: Hi there! Welcome to History in Retrograde. This is the podcast where we use the ancient art of astrology to help us better understand the past. I'm your co-host, Chandler O'Quinn, and joining me live in the beachfront studio (laughs) is my mom! Hi, Mom.
1: Hi, Chandler. How are you?
0: I'm doing very well. Are you ready to begin another grand experiment?
1: I am. I'm very excited. Let's go.
0: All right. Let's give it a whirl.
1: Let's give it a whirl. Hello, everybody in the whole world. I'm so excited that we're back. I'm so happy that you're listening, and I'm so happy that you like the show. And if you're new, welcome. We're so happy you're here.
0: Yes, we are uh, so happy uh, to have the support of people uh, all around this uh, great nation of ours, all around this wonderful world. Uh, thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, for those of you if this is your first episode, the way that we do things here is that in a moment I will give my mother the uh, astrological birth data of a random historical figure. She will input that data into the back computer and out will come the astrological birth chart, where all the planets, moons, and stars were at the moment that this figure was born. Uh, she will then do her best to give a blind reading of this chart, telling us what she can about the person's personality traits, motivations, um, fortunes of uh, this mystery history guest. Uh, I will then reveal to her uh, who our historical figure is, give a little background about the person, then we'll come together at the end and figure out how accurate the chart was at predicting what that person would do. And without any further ado, let us begin. Okay. This is a female. All right. Born on the 7th of August. All right. 1876.
1: Ooh. Okay.
0: At 1 p.m.
1: <gasps> Woo! We have a time. That's so good. Okay, where in the world? The Netherlands. The Netherlands. There we go. Okay, and a town.
0: I'm gonna go ahead and just start spelling
1: it. <laughs> okay.
0: Uh L E E. This one? Yes. Warden, I might think that's pronounced. Alright so this historical figure born the 7th of August 1876 at 1 p.m. it is a female lewarden lewarden the netherlands
2: holland
1: wow okay um wow um um there is a lot going on in this chart so um let me start with going through the planets and their placements. So this person has Sun at 15 degrees Leo, Moon at 10 degrees Pisces, Mercury at 17 degrees Leo, Venus at 14 degrees Cancer, Mars at 17 degrees Leo. Jupiter at 22 degrees Scorpio, Saturn at 6 degrees Pisces, Uranus at 20 degrees Leo, Neptune at 5 degrees Taurus, Pluto at 24 degrees Taurus, and North Node at 20 degrees Pisces, with Chiron at 0 degrees Taurus. With their ascendant at 12 degrees, Scorpio. Um, <laughs> this is a lot. Uh, so much Leo and Taurus with the Scorpio and the Pisces, which is, um, basically all of this Scorpio energy and and Taurus energy is squaring all of this leo energy which is making for a very combustible situation um if this is the right birth time we have this rising of 12 degrees scorpio and we have jupiter in scorpio at 22 degrees in the first house. So having Jupiter in the first house. Jupiter is expansion and, uh, big a lot. Um, having Jupiter in your first house can make you, um, a, a lot make, it can make you a lot. It can make your personality huge. It can make your body actually round if you enjoy these Jupiter things, but this is Jupiter in Scorpio. So Scorpio is introverted and protective and mysterious. And Jupiter is basically about, that's so opposite because Jupiter is out and big and, and, and lively and, um, I always think of Jupiter as, uh, the ghost of Christmas present from Christmas Carol, the big, jolly, whoa, ha, you know, ghost of Christmas present that is in the feast and, you know, the robes. And that reminds me of Jupiter, but, um, yeah. So this is an interesting placement of Jupiter. Then we have second house Sagittarius. There's nothing in that house. Um, but having sagittarius on your second house would be a very cavalier way of dealing with finances and belongings and almost like your joy in your um in your uh what you value is like travel and exploration and and discovery and maybe intellectual pursuits and adventures Third house, the house of communication is ruled by Capricorn. There's nothing in that house. But the fact that the third house is ruled by Capricorn again gives you this interesting inward perspective because it's ruled by Saturn. And that means that the situation with early childhood, elementary school, siblings, early home life, communication, all of these things somehow had a restriction of some sort on them or, or teaching Saturn is um Saturn rules Capricorn. And it used to rule Aquarius. It is your planet of lessons and learning. And it is possible that this person had difficulty learning to communicate or uh lessons with communication karma with siblings because saturn is also karma uh that kind of thing now a little uh, i'd say i guess maybe not quite two-thirds of the way in we have aquarius come into that house so aquarius is going to give you a futuristic take on communication now i'm doing placidus houses so with that said, I can go back to the first house and say a little further than midway, we have Sagittarius come into the first house, which would give you a more gregarious aspect because Sagittarius on the first house is kind of like, um, a friendly, chatty neighbor. <laughs> very, um, uh, very, uh, very good with, uh, small talk and, 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 um, uh, friendliness, you know, like when you just do you, you're in the grocery store line, some people don't speak to the checker. Someone with Sagittarius placements would always speak to the checker and, and, and make them feel comfortable, etc. So we have this interesting, uh, polarization in these houses that on one hand, you know, in the first house, this person could be secretive and, and, and introverted, but have this ability to, to, um, show this gregarious side when it was necessary. And same with the second house, because the second house, right about midway through, you see here, um, this comes to Capricorn. And that means that there is probably some more, Responsibility in the second house, or even lessons to be learned with, with finances and money, and then we go into the third house, where we continue. This third house is ruled by Capricorn, but it changes to Aquarius, just a little more than a quarter of a way in, which gives you a more futuristic take on communication and unique ways of dealing with communication. Then we get to the fourth house, which is um, Aquarius. See, Just barely there.
0: Well, we do have an interception here,
1: right?
2: It's
0: uh, five and six. Are they both
1: in Aries? Five. And six. Yeah, we do have an interception. Good for you, Chandler. Which yes, we do have an interception. Points
0: to our theory of people who are born
1: with interceptions, but
0: closer to the poles mm-hmm. are more likely to have interceptions.
1: Yeah. But I mean, you weren't born at the pole and you had an interception. Well,
0: still. Yeah. I, I, I mean, we found quite a that's of that's true. In fact,
1: when we go really way up there, then we get more than one interception, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. Very good, Chandler. That's very good. So here, technically in the fourth house, we don't have anything. We don't have house cusp in Pisces and we don't have a house cusp in Virgo. On the opposite side of that, because Pisces opposes Virgo. And so this person has no house cusp in Virgo and no house cusp in Pisces. So that is absolutely true. So the fourth house cusp is Aquarius, but we have some intense, uh, placements here in the fourth house. We have Saturn in Pisces, Moon in Pisces, and North Node in Pisces, all in the fourth house which need to be accessed, my opinion is, they need to be accessed by someone with Pisces placements to activate these things. Or you can also do astrocartography, which is like the map and where your placements fall in the map of the world. So uh, if this person were to move to a place that was ruled by Pisces, then that would activate this also. Uh, and this is all theory. Um, but uh, with that said, Saturn in Pisces, Moon in Pisces, and North Node in Pisces, if we were doing this without the Placidus houses and without the interception, and we were doing just, say, equal house cusps, not full house cusps, but equal house, then we would say that this person has Saturn conjunct their moon. So there's something about lessons from the mother, lessons from females, lessons having to do with emotions. This person could have some sort of uh, conflict or... um uh restrictions on their emotions perhaps or they are overwhelmed by their emotions and their north node is there in pisces so all of these pisces placements ruled by neptune give this person an extremely creativity get well give this person extreme creativity this person can unleash maybe it's a good thing that saturn is there because if this person didn't have the Saturn there to restrict it. It's possible that this person's imagination could get away with them. Um, but it is their purpose because their North Node is there. So they are supposed to be wandering in these realms of imagination, uh, creativity, um, even, uh, spiritualist, um, studies, uh, things like that. Then, fifth house cusp and sixth house cusp are both Aries because of the interception. So, fifth house cusp in Aries, Aries is ruled by Mars, which is um, straight to the point, uh, straight to the issue whatever it is, straight to the goal. No hedging anything, but there's nothing in there. But fifth house is ruled by Leo, which is children and entertainment and entertaining and leadership and romance. Uh, those are some of the things. And then sixth house is work, how you approach work, how you approach day to day. And this person has their, uh, Chiron and Neptune in Taurus in the fifth house, in the sixth house, sorry, the sixth house. So, um, somehow their work is healing. Somehow they, are healing because Chiron is the wounded healer so it's, and it's zero degrees so it's pretty intense and it's tourists so it's about sensitivity um touch uh tangible um maybe even healing with food or items um that can be uh part of uh, um, um, commerce somehow because Taurus rules all those things. But Chiron is kind of a, a Pisces aspect and Neptune is absolutely a Pisces ap- aspect because it rules Pisces. So we have two planets, this Chiron and this Neptune that are very healing, but also that Neptune is Imagination again, and somehow we use the imagination with the work and the healing with the work. Um, It's in Taurus, so um, earthy, very earthy. Then, seventh house cusp is Taurus, and we have Pluto there in Taurus. Pluto is your planet of death and rebirth. Pluto is power. Pluto is hidden things. Pluto is secrets. Pluto is taboo. Pluto is supernatural. Pluto is, uh, sexual. Um, all of those things that are connected with Scorpio. And this person has it in their seventh house in Taurus. So, powerful partners or a powerful partner, uh, Possibly even a partner who was, um, very successful in commerce, meaning commodities like oil or things that come from the earth, even. Uh, possibly. But then also maybe a partner that is, uh, hard. Maybe taboo or supernatural or any of those things that have to do with Scorpio. Secretive. A spy. Um, then eighth house is ruled by Gemini. And in the eighth house, we have Venus in Cancer because about midway through the eighth house, we switch to Cancer. Venus in the eighth house uh venus is gifts and giving and love and um, um it's not benevolent like jupiter but it's 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 things you know like and it's also how you love and this person has venus in cancer so they should have been a very they should have had a very nurturing way of showing love and also receiving love your, your Venus is, is also how you receive love. So this person should have been open to receiving love. It is in their eighth house, which is ruled by Scorpio and Pluto. So, uh, that's pretty intense. Having your Venus in the eighth house is pretty intense. It can also mean things like inheritance, um, Money coming from partners, gifts from partners, uh, luck, not as much as Jupiter, but some luck with, um, uh, maybe unknown sources, unknown. Um, then we move to the ninth house, and the ninth house is ruled by cancer. In this ninth house, we have the sun in Leo at 15 degrees. Mars conjunct Mercury at 17 degrees Leo conjunct the sun with Uranus at 20 degrees Leo conjunct all of that. So all of these planets, the sun, Mars, Mercury, and Uranus in Leo are conjunct in the ninth house. So, ninth house is ruled by Jupiter and Sagittarius, and it is world travel, um, higher education, as in like university, professor, but it could also be a spiritualist, like, uh, someone who is, um, a leader in spiritual pursuits um a a a a dogma uh religion these kind of things um going with this first time and going with the information that we have there's a lot of power in this spot this is the power spot this um sun conjunct mars conjunct mercury conjunct uranus and lightning intensity um also a new way a new way because it's uranus so uh maybe inventing a new way or um creating a new way of communicating uh With intensity, because it's Mars and the sun all within you. Um, I mean, if this person were in show business, I would think that this person was somehow a demigod because of this Leo and the sun and the Mars and the, and the power involved here, because this is a lot of power. And what's happening is it is being squared by their Jupiter in Scorpio. And they're, uh, Pluto in Taurus. Do you see how these two oppose each other within two degrees? And then they square all of this. So it's like exploding power of some sort. Um, then the 10th house cusp is in Leo per this, per this uh, chart, which has the interception, which means we have this Leo uh, ruling their career and their fame, all right? Hidden in here, though, is this Virgo house, which has no house cusps. There's no planets in there, but somehow that Virgo, when activated, can put a lot of um, detailed um, behavior having to do with this career. Somehow uh organizing and being very intricate with this. Then the 11th house is Libra and the 12th house is Libra because of the interception. So Libra is very pretty. Very pretty to the groups of people. Very pretty to groups of people. Libra is seen as um fair. Fair of face, fair-minded. The other side of that coin is that Libra can be <laughs> very, very narcisse. Um, They can want people to worship them. Uh, That's the dark side. And be very vain. So there's that. But having it on the 11th and the 12th house means they have, on their 12th house, they have karma with these things. They have karma, they have to be fair, or they have have or have not been fair in the past. Uh, they have karma with image, they have karma with balancing, they have karma with uh, maybe even their own beauty. So that's all the way around the houses. Do you have any questions? First of all, does any of this make sense?
0: Yes, I I think a lot of it makes sense, and I think once you know who it is, there are even more things and ways of reading it that might make more sense.
1: Oh, okay, okay.
0: Um, What would this person do for a living?
1: Well, if this is the right time of birth, then this person... I feel like this person would be the leader in whatever they're going to do for a living. Uh, but they are very um determined in whatever it is they're doing. I, of course, would like to say that this person was in some sort of show business and they were a demigoddess. But because they have all this Leo... And then they have all of this Pisces, which is very creative. And then they have this Venus in Cancer, which could make them very, um, voluptuous and beautiful. And then having this, uh, you know, having this 11th and 12th house in Libra, I would imagine that people did love this person.
0: Do you think she could keep a secret?
1: Yes. I absolutely think she could keep a secret. If this is the right planet, if this is the right rising sign the Scorpio, a Scorpio can take a secret to the grave. How
0: would she feel about uh, sexuality?
1: I'm going to say she's uh, kind of open with it. I'm going to say she might even be... uh in a place where people might think she's inappropriate with this Pluto in Taurus on the seventh house uh, and this Scorpio on the first house with Jupiter there, it is possible that she could be before her time in that area. Maybe not before her time, but maybe, maybe she's kind of out with, with something that other people would, Keep hidden. I don't think this woman is approved. prude. Or cold. I think she's very sensual.
0: What kind of partner is she looking for?
1: I think she's looking for someone who's very powerful. I think she's looking for someone who has a lot of power. And probably a lot of money. Because this Pluto in Taurus, in the seventh house, if this is the right birth time, uh, you're looking for someone with power. And she's pretty powerful already. So this person would need to be very, at least as powerful as she is. What would she look like? Honestly, I think she's very beautiful. I think she is. And if she is not what would be considered beautiful by like average, you know, uh, concepts, she's beautiful in a way that is so, um, um me- almost mesmerizing. Like, I think that she has a very unique beauty.
0: How would she dress?
1: You know, if this Scorpio is her riser, then I would think she would be uh she could dress. Along the lines of Scorpio things, which could be like, uh, maybe, I mean, she could be a little bit sexual, but I would think that she would have more sophistication than that. And she could look kind of like a Matahari, kind of a thin fatal, um, dark, mysterious, um, but, She's got all those planets in Leo. So she might somehow do that in a flamboyant way? I don't know. Like, with this kind of concoction, you could have, like, some sort of, like, I don't know. Dark mixed with flamboyant, like she wears vampire costumes or something. I don't know. It's a lot. This woman is a lot. And creative. Because somehow you have to mix all this Pisces in there with it. With the North Node and the Moon and Saturn. There's a lot going on here. You're not going to miss her when she comes down the street. She might come with a parade. I don't know. There's a lot going on here. I mean, because you have the the conflict between the Scorpio and the Taurus and all that Leo. And then the Pisces, which makes her probably weird. Um. This a this is a lot.
0: Do you have any other final first impressions?
1: Um I think that this woman could have been um with this Uranus and Leo conjunct all of this Leo. Like she could have been a filmmaker, um because of the Uranus and the new, you know, the new way. Uh, I, I, I I don't know. I I want to know who it is and if I know her.
0: Well, I think we're ready for a summary of our findings. Okay. Uh, the first thing you said is that she would be a lot, Mm
2: -hmm. uh,
0: that she has a combustible situation going on. Mm -hmm. Uh, She has a huge personality. Mm -hmm. Uh, there could be a roundness in the body. Uh, mm-hmm. there is an introverted, mysterious side of her that conflicts with this larger than life personality. Yes. Uh, she could be cavalier with finances. Uh, she would find joy in travel and mm-hmm. in discovery. There might be a restriction in, during her childhood, a restriction in communication. Um, there's a difficulty to learn to communicate. Uh, possibly a karma with all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, uh, that turns into a futuristic outlook on communication.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, the Pisces in her life might be activated by moving to a place, uh, that Pisces rules over.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, there are lessons from mother, from females in her life, from her emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, conflict and restriction, uh, with the emotions. Mm -hmm. She's extremely creative. Mm -hmm. Her purpose is creativity and imagination. Mm -hmm. Uh, She uh, would be straight to the point in uh, entertainment and romance, in children, these aspects of her life. Mm -hmm. Uh, Her work is healing through sensitivity, possibly through food or or through items. Mm -hmm. Her imagination is her work. Mm -hmm. Uh, she uh, would have powerful partners uh successful partners uh, possibly in commerce and commodities,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh possibly a taboo partner, secret partner, uh, some sort of spy
2: mm-hmm. uh
0: there's a very nurturing way uh, that she gives and receives love, and she gets money and gifts from her partners. Mm-hmm. Uh, There is power in uh, world travel, in education, and spiritualism. Uh, She would find a new way, an innovative way, in communicating uh, with intensity. Uh, If she went to show business, she would be some sort of demigod Mm -hmm. of show business.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, She uh, would be devoted in her career. She would be very pretty to groups of people, Mm -hmm. uh, a fair beauty, um, possibly narcissistic, vain. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a karma with her beauty, with her narcissism, with her image and her beauty. Mm -hmm. Uh, Whatever she does in a career, she would be a leader in her career. Mm -hmm. Uh, She'd be determined. Uh, If she went into show business, she would be some sort of demigod. Mm -hmm. Uh, She'd be very voluptuous. People loved her uh she could keep a secret uh, she uh, might have an open sexuality um, people uh, would think she 's inappropriate at times, possibly mm-hmm. ahead of her time uh, she'd be out there, not approved, not cold mm-hmm. someone who's very sensual mm-hmm. Uh, She is looking for a powerful, wealthy partner. Someone who is equal or more powerful than her. Mm -hmm. She would be very beautiful in a mesmerizing way. A unique beauty. Uh, She uh, would dress uh, possibly in a sexually provocative manner. Uh, She might appear as a femme fatale, uh, sophisticated, dark, and flamboyant.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: This woman is a lot. Yeah. Uh, She is very creative. Uh, You are not going to miss her when she uh, enters a room. Mm -hmm. Uh, There might be a parade announcing her (laughs) arrival. Uh, She is probably weird. Mm -hmm. Uh, She could have been a filmmaker.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Uh, Is there anything that I've left out?
1: I'm just, you know, these planets are so powerful. Having this Jupiter in Scorpio in the first house and Pluto in Taurus, in the seventh house, squaring all of these Leo planets by degree. It's just, uh, oh, so much. And, um, I'm very interested to know who this is. If I know them.
0: Do you have any guesses
2: as to who this might be?
1: Honestly, I do not. I, I am coming up with, um, no, I don't I don't know who this is.
0: Well, you've actually already said her name. What? This is the astrological birth chart of the Matahari.
1: I don't remember saying her name. You did. I did? Yes. What the heck? I can't even believe I said that. I don't remember saying that. That's crazy. Yeah, this woman is intense. Oh please tell me all about her.
0: Uh so the Matahari uh is uh, one of the most recognizable symbols of turn of the century uh, female now we would call it empowerment uh sexuality uh, she took Europe by storm with her uh provocative uh dances and her bringing of orientalism uh into uh the dance culture of uh and the theater culture of Europe uh and is known as a, a a, a spy uh, during World War One, uh, and was uh, executed by the French government uh, for uh, her uh, double agent status. Uh, so uh, the Matahari Hari uh, was born uh, Margareta Gertrude Zell uh, in August of 1876. Uh, she was born to Antier and uh, Adam Zell. Uh, Mr. Zell, he was a store owner, uh, but uh, he was not uh, very... Uh, happy with that lot in life. And so he made up a whole nother life for himself and convinced other people that he was a wealthy aristocrat. Okay. Uh, and he started investing, uh, he, from, uh, his haberdashery, he had enough profits to invest in the, uh, Dutch stock market and made quite a deal of money. And so, uh, convinced people that he was a baron. Uh, and so, uh, Margareta grew up believing uh, that she, or at least thinking of herself as a wealthy princess, um, even though uh, she was not of any aristocratic background. Um, in 1889, the Zell family went bankrupt. And at that same time, uh, the mother and father uh, separated and got divorced. And then two years later, uh, the mother passed away. Uh she uh, Margareta never saw uh, her father again uh she would be handed off to different relatives uh and then uh, at the age of 15 she went uh, to apprentice to be a kindergarten teacher mm. and by this point uh, she uh, had already blossomed and the schoolmaster uh seduced her oh my and then uh she was the one who was expelled from the school
2: oh my Mm.
0: Uh, So she went and lived with her uncle uh, in The Hague, and uh, she was reading the newspaper and saw a newspaper ad by uh, one of the uh, captains in the Dutch Navy named uh, Rudolf McLeod. And McLeod was looking for a wife, and so he posted an ad uh, in uh, the newspaper uh, for a wife, and uh, Margareta answered the ad. And uh, their first date was at a art museum and they just walked arm in arm all throughout the art museum and they fell in love. Aww. And in 1895, uh, they were married and then uh, they were both shipped off to the Dutch East Indies, uh, now known as Indonesia. Mm. Uh, on the way, uh, they honeymooned in Wiesbaden, uh, which has uh, an interesting a connection uh, to my own family, as uh, that is where uh, one half of my family uh, came from, hailed from Wiesbaden, uh, which was a spa resort sort of town. And so they honeymoon there, and it is here that McCloyd started to demonstrate uh, some of the more negative aspects of his life. Uh, yeah. He was uh, an abusive alcoholic, he was very jealous, and a philanderer. And so as uh, Margareta went through uh, the spa, she caught the attention of many men. And uh, her husband was not very uh, receptive to all this (laughs) uh, and uh, physically abused her. Uh, They uh, then left uh, from their honeymoon and arrived in Java. And she absolutely loved uh, the uh, jungles of Indonesia and loved the natives. And the natives loved her. Mm -hmm. And uh, she learned a lot about their culture and uh, they would end up calling her uh, Eye of the Dawn, uh, mm-hmm. or the uh, word for the sun, mm-hmm. uh, which is Matahari.
2: Wow.
0: And uh, so at the same time, the husband is having affairs of his own. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Margretta decides that she's going to have affairs of her own. And uh, so she starts taking up with some of the younger lieutenants uh, that are uh, stationed in Java. Eventually, they uh, move to Sumatra, but she uh, does not like uh, the city life as much as she enjoyed being closer to the natives in uh, the jungles of uh, Java Mm -hmm. and uh, would end up trying to go back there. Uh the uh two would have two children, uh one of them uh named Norman John and another girl named uh Luis Jean. Um well because of the husband's uh life with other women, uh he contracted syphilis. Okay. And he ended up giving syphilis to uh Margareta and to the two children. Oh, no. Uh as they were born, they already had the disease.
2: Oh,
0: no. Uh so Everything about the Matahari's life, life, uh, it's hard to tell how much of it is real mm. and how much of it has been blown out of proportions. Yeah. So some people say that uh, the two children uh, were treated for syphilis by being given mercury. Mm-hmm. And because of this treatment, uh, the boy passed away oh. and the girl survived. Another story is that the children were poisoned with wow. Mercury, um as a way of getting back at the Montahari.
2: Oh uh
0: jealous lover. Uh it I've I've seen both of them and I'm not exactly sure which one is correct or not, but Norman did pass away, and this was the sort of final straw uh, for uh, the marriage. They end up going back uh, to the Netherlands, and she is the one who files for divorce against McLeod. Uh, She initially gets... Well, this is another thing where I've seen both stories. One of the stories goes that she gets custody of the little girl... Uh, and then when, uh, sh- the girl is visiting, uh, with McCloyd, uh, he takes her, uh, and does not give her back. Mm-hmm. And, uh, she, uh, Margareta did not have the means of fighting in court. Mm-hmm. And so she went on to live another life. Oh, um, always wanting to have her little girl back in her life. Mm-hmm. Another story says that he gets custody outright. Um, uh i'm not exactly sure which of these two uh is correct but by any means by 1903 uh Margarethe zell is back uh or she has now arrived in paris and she would later be quoted as saying that all runaway wives go to paris huh. uh and uh, she arrives and uh already has been learning so much from her time uh, in the East Indies uh, and wants to be a performer. And so she starts working for different circuses uh, in the area. And then by the next year, she develops this whole character of the Mata Hari. Mm -hmm. And uh, she starts performing uh, in uh, March of uh, 1904. And uh, she performs this... Uh, I mean, what would be considered, uh, especially at the time, a very sexually explicit show. Yeah. Uh, she was wearing a full body stocking, uh, and then on top of that would be a, uh, bejeweled, uh, bra, uh, and then she had these veils, uh, sort of like the seven veils that she would remove one by one through her elaborate dance. And then at the end, leaving just, uh, the brassiere and the body stocking. Uh-huh uh and in some shows uh people say that there wasn't even a body stocking
2: anymore mm-hmm.
0: um and uh this was uh just completely took the parisians uh, uh by storm they 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 had never seen anything quite like this before, and she was bringing with her a culture um that they weren't really familiar with the east indies um it was sort of uh, uh unknown, and so she kind of got away with making up things as she went along uh-huh. uh, that weren't necessarily a part of that culture. she also got away with uh the sexual explicit parts of this by claiming that this was for educational purposes, that she was showing people what the temple dances were in Indonesia, uh, which isn't exactly uh, true, but she got away with it. Um, she uh, would then travel from paris uh, she would travel all around europe uh she would uh, go to berlin madrid saint petersburg milan uh and at the same time uh, she is what is described as a professional courtesan uh-huh. uh which uh some people might call a prostitute mm-hmm. um but uh, there is a a difference between the two um a courtesan uh, of this time uh, would have very select few people uh, that uh, they would be sleeping with. And instead of outright cash being exchanged, it would be jewels, it would be furs, it would be clothing, it would be all of these things that they would be given uh, in... Uh, in lieu of some sort of cash payment uh, for these uh, sexual acts. Uh-huh. And so in this role, she is betting aristocrats, artists, uh, academics, wealthy businessmen, uh, the crown prince of Germany, uh, people of high status from all over the continent. Um and this is uh sort of how she makes her career. She is uh doing these dances uh, she is being photographed and she is this uh professional uh courtesan mm-hmm. um and she's not really someone who has a a home she is the definition of an independent woman mm-hmm. uh she uh takes uh, what these men give her and then can leave them behind as she goes to some other um country. Uh, And this is all very well and good in this time period of the turn of the century. But there is something that is brewing off in the distance, which is going to affect the way that she can lead this kind of life, and that is the First World War. In uh, 1914, uh, there were so many women who were now copying her style of dance and her performance that uh, she found it difficult to find a job for herself. Uh And uh, so she leaves Paris behind and she is in Berlin in the summer of 1914 uh, when the Archduke is uh, Ferdinand is assassinated and Germany declares war against Russia and France. At this point uh, the Germans don't trust her because she's lived most of her life in France.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so they confiscate all of her furs and her jewels and all of her money in the bank. Mm-hmm. so she is left penniless. And uh, she is able to convince uh, one of her um, uh, wealthier financiers back in the Netherlands to allow her to go back home to the Hague. Mm-hmm. And so she gets a train ticket to go to the Hague, and she spends most of 1915 there. Uh, so the Germans think that she might already be some sort of French spy, mm-hmm. and uh, the English, because she's just come from Berlin, think that she's some sort of German spy, mm-hmm. and so MI5 is tailing her while she's in The Hague, and all of their reports say that she's just a very bored woman, mm-hmm. that she's just staying in this home, she has nowhere to perform, she's not really seeing uh, that many of her high-status lovers anymore, but she does start communicating with the head of German intelligence in the Netherlands, Mm-hmm. and she makes a deal with him, uh, he proposes that she become a spy because she has all of this experience with all of these different people of all of these different ranks in the military already. So just continue to do that, but then hand over any secrets that she has over to the German uh, crown. Uh-huh. Well, for that, uh, they uh, give her an initial payment of 20,000 francs. Mm-hmm. She views this as just payment for all of the things that the Germans took from her. Uh-huh. And so she accepts the payment, but has really no uh, inclination of actually falling through with this, uh, of being a German spy. But she is given the code name H21. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh,
0: and uh, after a few months, uh, she returns to France. And in France, the French uh, intelligence have the same idea that she already knows all of these people, uh, that uh, it would be easy to stick her as some sort of honeypot. She already had a sexual affair with the crown prince of Germany, Reintroduce them, and start getting secrets from the Germans to pass over to the French. Mm-hmm. And so they strike up an agreement to do that. So she is, at this point, a double agent, where both of the warring countries believe that she is working for them. Mm-hmm. When really, she's still just trying to live her independent life, doing whatever she wants. Mm. But in a way, she's kind of gotten in way over her head in all of this. Uh, she, uh, concocts this idea with the uh, French intelligence, uh, to allow her to pass through Spain and take a boat over to Germany where she can seduce the crown prince And start giving secrets over to the French. Uh All of this is because now in her 40s, she has actually fallen in love. Or what she says, she has fallen in love for the first time. Uh And that is to a Russian uh, commander uh, named uh, Vladimir Maslov, who is 23. Oh, 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 okay. Uh, and she is trying to uh, work out a special agreement to allow her to go to the front to be uh, with uh, Vladimir Maslov. Uh-huh. So she's hoping that she can get all of these things working in her favor so that she can be with who she actually wants to be. So she goes to Madrid. Uh, she... Uh, goes uh, and takes a ship and the ship is boarded in the English channel and the English take her prisoner to Scotland Yard saying, we have a file on you dating back three years that you're a German agent. Uh And she says, no, I'm not a German agent. I'm a French agent. Uh So they contact Ledoux, the head of French intelligence, and he doesn't want to have anything to do with this now because he thinks that the English have caught her as a German agent. So he washes his hands of her. Wow. And so she goes back to Spain. Well, now she's back in Spain. She's still trying to work this deal out uh, to get with the Crown Prince of Germany to get his secrets. Uh, And so she contacts the German intelligence in Madrid. She is staying at the Ritz Hotel in Madrid, which is entirely staffed by German spies. Uh She has no idea. So she starts talking with the uh, German intelligence about that she is age 21, that she uh, wants to have a meeting with the crown prince to give him the secrets she's got on the French. And then, as soon as she gets out of that meeting, she writes a letter from the hotel to the French intelligence, saying that she's got a lead on how to get to the crown prince. (gasps) Her mail is then read by the German spies, and they allow her to leave Spain, and she goes back to France. But then they send a telegram in a code that they know the French have broken, saying that the Matahari is H21, that she is a German agent, that she is going to do all of these things for the Germans. That mm-hmm. is intercepted by the French. And when she arrives in Paris, she is then arrested.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, she is uh, held, uh, for many months, uh, in, uh, in prison there. She's interrogated, uh, over 17 times. Uh, each time she's, she, doesn't really have a whole lot to reveal, and she keeps pleading with them. I'm working for you. I'm working for Ledoux. I'm, I'm, I'm a, a French agent, if anything. Um, but then they are finally able to provide the German telegram, which says that she is age 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is all happening, uh, in the summer of, uh, 1917. Uh, which is after the battles of the Somme and Verdun, and the French are completely exhausted and actually starting to mutiny against their officers. Mm-hmm. Uh, one uh, aspect of this mutiny leads to the death of 50,000 French uh, soldiers. Wow. Uh, this is all happening during her trial, and so they just tag this on to the trial, saying that because of the Matahari's treachery, 50,000 French soldiers are dead. Oh, no. So uh, the uh, jury uh, who is at the trial uh, sentences her to all eight counts of treason. Oh my. Uh, And on top of all of this, uh, during the uh, prosecution, um, Maslov, uh, the Russian lover, uh, says that he had no intentions of ever marrying her and that uh, he didn't love her to save his own skin. Okay. Uh, So uh, in October of 1917, uh, she is sentenced to death by firing squad. Uh, the uh, Matahari uh, went out uh, on that cold fall uh, morning, uh, wearing the finest furs and jewels that she could still get her hands on. Mm-hmm. And uh, she uh, went up against the wall. Uh, there were uh, twelve uh, French soldiers who were there uh, to execute her. Uh, she refused a blindfold. Mm-hmm. Uh, she blew a kiss to the Catholic father who wow. had, uh, read her her last rites, yes. and she blew a kiss to the French officer. Uh, officer who was commanding uh, the firing squad. Yes. Uh, she then gave a, a large smile and uh, the officer gave the order to fire. Nine of the 12 shots missed.
1: Oh my gosh.
0: Three hit her, one Ugh. of them right in her heart.
1: Oh, that's lucky.
0: Uh, she fell uh, to her knees uh, and she was still smiling
2: uh,
0: as uh, she bent uh, backward uh, with her face facing the sky. Uh, and one of the reporters who was there seeing all of this uh recorded my god the woman knew how to die. Oh my gosh. Uh the legacy of the Matahari is uh, shrouded in mystery. Um what do especially in regards to all of the espionage and the things going on during World War 1. Uh there're just now documents that are Coming to light a hundred years on where the prosecution admits that in these documents, they didn't have enough to truly, um, uh, uh, execute her for, and that they made up all of these things to connect her, uh, with the 50,000 who died, uh, just so that they could have a PR, uh, uh, victory uh, over all of this. Yes, uh, It is very difficult to tell if she was an actual German agent, if she was a French agent, if she did any work for either side or if any of her plans actually would have worked. Um... It is, uh, and and because of all these things that are coming to light, uh, her legacy is now being um, uh, re-examined. Uh, there are museums that are open uh, in the Netherlands dedicated to her life and legacy. Because when you look at her career uh, in popular culture, uh, she is. Really sort of the first one, at least in the 20th century, um, to uh, blaze this trail for other female uh, performers to follow. Mm-hmm. There is a direct line that you can draw from the Mata Hari to uh, the vamps of the silent era uh-huh. to, uh, I mean, many of the big Hollywood stars like Joan Crawford would end up playing the Mata Hari. Right.
2: Um,
0: and then drawing that to Madonna and Lady Gaga and all the people we have today who, who look at this sort of dance and owning of sexuality as empowerment, that can all really be traced to the Matahari. Uh, so uh, a truly uh, remarkable figure, and I think that the chart uh, bears out a lot of uh, what she would end up doing.
1: Absolutely. That is so very, very interesting. Very interesting to this, you know, Libra on the 12th house of the scales of justice, karma with justice. Um Wow. Because, you know, who knows what she was really doing at all? Mm-hmm. Because none of what she said could have been true. Mm-hmm. Everything she said could have been true. Right. So, uh yeah. Very, very interesting. And the sun being, you know, Leo. The, rules. the eye of the
0: dawn and the sun and Matahari.
1: Yeah. All having to do with Leo yes. and the sun. Wow. Very interesting. Uh, I was looking at the pictures of her while you were, uh, telling all about her. And honestly, I would have expected her to be a more buxom. Than she was.
0: And that was one of the reasons that she never removed the brazier.
1: Because she's not. Right. Interesting. Because, you know, having this Venus in Cancer, I would think, and having this Jupiter, if this is her first house. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter really where all of these things fall. Because no matter what her time of birth was, we are going to have Jupiter and Pluto squaring all this Leo. No matter what so that is a lot of intensity and energy so we don't know we don't know where that was and this um north node in pisces and 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 saturn conjunct the moon and uh you know saturn as a mother mm-hmm. lessons as the mother wow well i don't know i think uh, i i i can't Think off the top of my head of very many women in history that are not condemned <laughs> in one way or another. Because as soon as they reach that pinnacle, it's time to take them down, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I think it
0: was Ulrich who said, um, well-behaved women seldom make history.
1: That's a fact. That is a fact. That's very true. Well, this is fascinating, Chandler. I'm really glad you chose this.
0: Well, I think on our scale of uh, right on the money to way out in outer space, uh, this one is right on the money. This <laughs> is uh, who uh, Margarita Zell, who the Matahari uh, was.
1: Yeah. Isn't that amazing?
0: Well, that concludes this episode of History in Retrograde. We'd like to thank you all so much for listening. Uh, If you'd like to uh, reach out and support the show, uh, we have all the links to our social media uh, posted in the show description. Uh, And we also have our link to our YouTube channel. Uh, There are all sorts of episodes from our first season uh, posted up there um, so that you can actually follow along if you uh, would like. And uh, we would really appreciate if you could like and subscribe to that channel as well. Uh, and uh, there are other uh, links there uh, for other ways to support us um, if uh, you would like to reach out uh, financially we would very much appreciate that um, we have a link to our PayPal account uh, where uh, any little bit helps us to create a better quality show and expand our audience and if you would like to be your very own mystery history guest we can make that happen uh, there is a link provided uh, to uh, Chandler's mom at history and red retrograde.com and uh, you can follow that link and uh, find out more about how you can get your own chart read, uh, the chart between you and that special someone uh, even if that special someone is for legend.
1: <laughs> That's very true and you can find all the links to everything at our website which is www.historyandretrograde.com and we thank you so much for all the donations we have received. They are very helpful and do help so much and we thank you very much for that and thank you for liking and sharing the show with other people. It helps us grow the show and helps us, um, just sort of spread out all over the world. And, um, I think that, you know, if you do enjoy what we're doing and you do want to follow along, like Chandler said, go to the YouTube channel. I have posted, uh, almost the entire first season. I am in hiatus myself right now for the moment, taking a little break, but, um, I'll be back on that as soon as I can.
0: Uh, as always, in conclusion, uh, as long as your houses are in order and the stars are aligned, everything will be just fine.
1: Everything's going to be just fine. Thank you so much for listening. We love you. Bye bye.
0: Thank you so much. Bye bye.